This morning's text comes from Acts 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Please join me as we pray God's blessing over the teaching of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us and you're here, that you are the one who reveals the truth of Jesus Christ and who he truly is revealed in his word. We need you. We are desperate. We are liars. We're thieves. We are sinners. We are selfish and arrogant without you. So God, as we come to you in our need, I pray that you would speak to us, help us to hear your word, to hear the truth of it, so we can experience the grace and the goodness that you have to pour out on this little congregation, God, of people that need you. So speak, speak through Tommy today, in Jesus' name, amen. So for long as but a hundred of us remain alive, we will in no way yield ourselves to the dominion of the English. For it is not for glory, nor riches, nor honor that we fight, but for freedom, which no good man lays down, but with his life. This quote comes um, from the Scottish Declaration of Independence from England, the Declaration of Aberoth uh, in 1320. And it states emphatically a reality that, that is, is reflected in the hearts and the history of mankind. 
It is the passionate desire for freedom. For it is not for glory, nor riches, nor honor that we fight, but for freedom, which no good man lays down, but with his life. The declaration here is that we are willing to give our lives if it means achieving our freedom. Mankind is captured by the virtue of freedom. The ability to live unshackled, uh, to, be, to be set free, it is a promise the heart, a man's, the heart of man seeks. It is the promise of freedom that entices mankind. Whether you see it in the waging of wars, the establishment of governments, the pursuit of finances, or really the choices even we make within our relationships, we are driven by the promise of greater freedom. We want to be free. But it is fascinating because the path to and the state of freedom is not something that's easily known. What does it mean to be free? How do you define this idea of being free, of living free, of having freedom in your life? There's all these different contradictory ideas, contradictory prescriptions, contradictory paths espoused by people all around us. And those promises of freedom through different methods get to the point of being confusing. What does it mean to be free? How do I live free? What is true freedom? And even as we discuss it in the hope of Christianity, it's not unusual for people to be confused by the promise of freedom taught within the church and within his word. And make no mistake about it, Christianity promises freedom. Christianity promises freedom. Jesus in John chapter 8 says, If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. The promise that Jesus gives us. And he follows it up with an even more emphatic statement where he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The promise of freedom through Jesus Christ was central to the message that animated the first century church. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Jesus said that Christianity will bring freedom. His disciple Peter wrote and said that we should live in our freedom. And Paul teaches all throughout his epistles the freedom found in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, he says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Right now we're in the middle of a, a series entitled Unstoppable. And it's designed and it's set up as, as a study in the book of Acts. And the reason why we're studying the book of Acts is because ultimately what we're trying to do is, is look at the, at the actions and the attitudes and the attributes, the mindset, the approach that the first century church had. See, as Jesus established his church in this world, we, we go to the book of Acts and we see the heart that they had. We see the attitudes they had. We see what they did. And we look at it and we say, look at how God used them. 
Look at how that first century church that, that was born out of about 120 people in an upper room came and, and spread the message of Jesus Christ throughout the whole world. Throughout the entire then no world and ultimately throughout the entire world who now 2,000 years later, there's over 2 billion people who profess the name of Jesus Christ and consider themselves followers of Jesus. It is, the, it is the power of that church that we're looking at and saying, what is it that they did? How was it that they acted? We've looked at the way that they prayed, how they would gather. And they would commit themselves and give themselves as the body of Christ fully and totally to prayer to see God move. To show that he was their dependency. He was their hope. We looked at the way in which they cared for each other in which they considered themselves a community, and when there was need, they answered that need. They would provide for one another. They'd look out for one another. We saw the way in which, because they were yielded to the Holy Spirit and, and to the work of the Holy Spirit, we saw the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in powerful ways, in incredible ways. We've looked at so many different aspects, including the message that they delivered. The message that they were focusing in on, what they wanted to bring to the people. And today's text provides another great opportunity to look at the message of that church. Particularly as it relates to the message of freedom that the church of Christ and his gospel offers. It's interesting because uh, this morning's text is the first sermon um, in the book of Acts that we hear the Apostle Paul preach. And it's really informative to reflect on the structure and the focus of Paul's message. So for the first time, Paul, who is this incredible instrument of God in the evangelization of the world, um, stands up and begins to preach this message. We've seen other sermons preached throughout throughout the book of Acts. We've, we've, heard, we've, we've read Peter's sermons. We've reread we've Stephen's sermon. And now we come to this point in which, in which Paul stands up, and it's his, his, op his first opportunity that we see in which he says, I want you to understand who Jesus Christ is, who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And first of all, what he does is, in the structure, he lays out the historical prophetic background of Jesus Christ. He stands up before the Jews, and he says, I want you to understand how this has been pointing to him. I want you to realize that, that, that throughout history, throughout our, 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 the word that God has given us, it's been coming and leading to Jesus Christ. One of the most amazing confirmations of the truth of Christianity is the way Jesus fulfills so many prophecies made hundreds of years before his coming. This is so important for us as we look at who Jesus Christ is. Because it, it provides for us this beautiful picture of the hand of God orchestrating this over time. John Piper puts it like this. To understand who Jesus Christ really is, we need to remember that he is not like a rabbit out of the hat with no warning. He didn't just pop up in history with no meaning. Instead, he is like a treasure chest of gold at the end of a centuries-long treasure hunt with lots and lots and lots of clues along the way. It's this precious discovery of Jesus Christ 
that history has been pointing to, that prophecy has been pointing to. And so Paul, as he delivers this message, he's making this historical case to his Hebrew audience for Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all the prophecies, of all of Scripture. He's the answer. He's the hope. He starts in verse 17 describing how how Israel was chosen by God for a special purpose. As he's walking them through their history saying, we were chosen to be the deliverer of the Messiah, the deliverer of hope. In verse 22, he, he speaks of the special place that, that David has and is an instrument of God. How he is, how he is going to be the, the wellspring that, that brings forth the Messiah. That it's from his lineage, it's, it, it's, from, it's from his kingdom that the Messiah is going to come. He then makes reference to John the Baptist. Which, is, which in and of itself is this fascinating thing. He, and he's going through and he's saying, listen, we've been waiting for this Messiah. God chose us as the nation through whom the Messiah would come. And, and, and David prophesied about this. And David was this, was this great leader, but, but he died. He, his body is corrupted. All of this has been pointing to this. And then he comes in and he says, and he, and he references John the Baptist. And he says, he says, you guys remember John the Baptist? There was this guy who, who came out and he began, he began to preach and began to say, make straight the way of the Lord. The Jews that were sitting here would know that what, what Paul is referring to is that this John the Baptist, this one who came before Jesus, is the one that was prophesied about in Isaiah 40. They would have read Isaiah 40 where it says, A voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. That sounds like John the Baptist, doesn't it? They would know that he's referring to the prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 where it says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. So Paul stands up and he's saying, I want you guys to understand, this is who Jesus is, the promised Messiah. He's saying all throughout history is pointing to this man. And with that, he declares the important message that the church has to offer. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. He stands up and he says, this is the Messiah that's been prophesied about. This is the one that we've been waiting for. And this is what he's come to do. He's come so that you might have forgiveness of sin and might be set free. Through this man, through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. And by him, everyone who believes is free. Paul's first sermon crescendos with a truth that is meant to be at the forefront of the first century church's message. And and the message that should be at the forefront of every century's church since. Jesus came. So we can proclaim there is forgiveness of sin and freedom for everyone who believes. Listen, the heart of man 
desires and seeks freedom. Every one of us wants freedom over enslavement. Wants to be freed instead of in bondage. And the truth of our our physical and spiritual existence and the message of Jesus Christ and his church is that only true freedom is found in Jesus Christ. That as we in our hearts, as we as as human beings sit in this place and say, I want to be free. I want to live in freedom. I don't want to be in bondage. I I don't want to be tied up. I want to live free. The message of the church, the message of the coming of Jesus Christ, the message of the word of God, the message of the gospel is there is only true freedom in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that this world has to offer that will give you true freedom. We need to learn this truth from this first century church. We need to, as the church, embrace that as the message. And we need to, as followers of Jesus Christ, understand this, come to this full realization that there is no freedom in anything other than Jesus Christ. Paul, in his first recorded sermon, makes the freedom found in Christ the centerpiece. And this is consistently what becomes the centerpiece of the, of the teachings of the first century church and specifically the teachings of Paul. He preaches about it all throughout the book of Romans. He teaches about it in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He teaches about it in Colossians. He talks to Timothy about it in 1st Timothy. And then he goes into Galatians and he just uh, teaches about it all throughout Galatians and most extensively in Galatians chapter 5. This is the centerpiece of Paul's message, and this is what he says as he writes to the church in Galatia. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He starts out and he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That, that's a bold declaration, isn't it? He says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. He's trying to emphasize deeply this idea of the work of Jesus Christ. That not only has he set you free, but the thing he set you free for is to be free. That freedom is this aspect, is this identity, is this very very essence we live in as followers of Christ. And he says, stand firm in that freedom... Don't submit to the yoke of slavery. The contrast here is really stark. For freedom, he has set you free, or you can be in the yoke of slavery. For freedom, he has set you free, or you can be under the yoke of slavery. This is this visceral call that appeals to our most base desire to be free moral agents, not enslaved. 
And so he says, stand strong against the call of slavery. For freedom he has set you free. Don't be enslaved again. What is it that he refers to as the source of our slavery? Jesus Christ, for freedom has set you free. Don't submit to the yoke of slavery. What does he say is the yoke of slavery? I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. I want you guys to hear that last statement again. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. He's speaking here as he begins uh, specifically about, about circumcision, but ultimately what he's, what he's talking about is he's generally referring to legalism. What he's saying is, those of you who would, who would believe to be justified by law, by doing this and not doing that, by being in this place and not in that place, he's saying you have fallen away from grace. You have now been enslaved to the law. He's referring to legalism. In fact, that's specifically what Paul is referring to in this morning's text when, when he's preaching this message in the synagogue. He says, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Moses is the lawgiver, right? How many of you guys remember watching the Ten Commandments? Right? He goes up on the mountain, he walks down, he's got the Ten Commandments in his arms, and he says, here's the law. And then you go into Scripture, and, and they expound on that law uh, through the book of Exodus. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And so whenever there's a reference to Moses, that reference is to the law. And so what Paul's declaration here is, he's saying, listen, guys, you have been following the law. You have been following this and following that and following this and following that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And what is Paul's declaration? He's saying the law never freed you. He's reiterating what, 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 what I read about in Galatians. He's saying, listen, there is no freedom in the law. There is no freedom found in the law. He's saying that's legalism. That's saying what you do and what you can't do, do is what brings righteousness. And he's saying it's not possible through the law. In fact, when you, uh, when you put yourself in that place, you're under the yoke of that slavery. You're under the yoke of that law, and you are not free. But Jesus has set you free from the slavery of the law that can't free you. It's saying that you can't obey the law enough to earn your salvation. It's saying the law isn't sufficient to earn your righteousness. And it's saying that living under that law is a denial of the grace of God. It's in this that we get our first understanding of our freedom of Christ. Our first point of freedom by Jesus is that we are set free from righteousness through the obligation of the law. 
We are set, set free from the burden of self-righteousness. We are set free from being good enough. How many of you guys have ever discovered what a burden that really is? You guys ever tried to be good enough? You guys ever tried hard enough to make sure that, that, that the life you lived matched up to a point of self-righteousness? You understand? That's what self-righteousness means, right? I can make myself righteous. I can, be, I can be righteous by what I do myself. That's self-righteousness. That is standing before the mirror and saying, I'm good enough. That's standing before the mirror and saying, I'm righteous enough because of what I've done. What we discover in this is we are set free from that burden. And make no mistake, the requirement is a heavy yoke. It's an impossible yoke. We're not able to do enough to be good enough. The first message of the, thir- the, 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 message of the first century church wasn't do this, don't do that, and you'll be saved. In fact, the message was the exact opposite. This really is one, one of the great misconceptions of Christianity that lingers both in the church and is used derisively by those outside the church. It's the idea that we are righteous, that, that we are holy, that we are better than others because we do the right things and don't do the wrong things. It's this idea that, 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 that we as the church gather and we, we turn our nose up at the world and we say, look how good we are. We go to church. We sometimes dress up for church. We don't do the things that you people do. And the truth is, that is not the message of the church. So often people define the church, we define ourselves so, so often wrongly in opposition to the message of the first century church. It's, a, it's the idea that, that, that we are righteous, we are holy, we are better than others because we don't do the things that you do. We don't do wrong things. We don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't go out with girls that do. <laughs> that is legalism. And in reality, legalism is not in any way Christianity. In, in fact, Paul says, you are severed from Christ. He says, you have fallen away from grace if you are defined by your legalism. You are not redeemed by what you do. You are not made righteous by what you don't do. You are not washed and cleansed and made good because you do good things. There is none righteous, not one, according to Romans 3. By grace you are saved through faith and not of your works, according to Ephesians 2. The grace of God through Christ is what saves us period, is what changes us, period, is what transforms us, period. 
If you are here this morning, know that salvation is not because you adhere to a set of rules and a set of laws. Salvation is available because Jesus Christ knew you could not save yourself through righteous behaviors. And he knew it so well that he had to come and die for your sins. One of my favorite statements that I've ever heard is that Jesus Christ's death on the cross has outed us all. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the declaration that all of us have sin in our lives. That all of us have sin in our lives that have separated us from Jesus Christ that, that, that was so deep and so dark that we were unable to, in our own ability, to be set free from that sin. Listen, if that wasn't the case, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. The message of the church is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. The message of the first century church wasn't that, that, that God loves us so much that he gave you a bunch of rules that if you live by them, you'll be saved. The message of the church is that Jesus Christ, who was sinless and pure, took your sins and my sins to the cross, that he suffered and died, that he took upon himself the just punishment for our sins. So that as long as we submit ourselves to him and give ourselves to him and follow after him, we will have forgiveness of our sins and we will have life eternal. It is not about being good enough. If you're here this morning and you're living in the guilt of your imperfection, if you're living in the guilt of the grip of sin, if you're living in a place separated from the call of God, feeling as though you're unable to live up to the standard that you think you have to live up to, I want you to know that's not the message of the church of Jesus Christ. The message of his church is, he set you free. Believe in him. Trust in him. Give your life completely to him. For freedom, he has set us free. He has set us free from the yoke of legalism, slavery, by his work on the cross. That we do not have to be, be made right by do's or don'ts but that we have been justified by faith in his work as Savior, as the promised Messiah, as the one prophesied to set his people free. This is the first point of freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. But there's another point of freedom that waits for everyone who believes. It is freedom from slavery to sin. Too often in church history and too often in modern Christianity, we have seen this freedom from law mean freedom to sin. We have been set free from the law. We are free because we've been set free from the law that goes, we are free to do and be what we want to do and be. Too many Christians have accommodated secularism and paganism by making a way for hedonism. 
Their declaration is, listen, just accept Christ, pray a prayer, be a Christian, and grace will cover all you do because we've been set free from the law. We can do whatever we want. You can live like everybody else. It's cool. When we look at Paul's teaching and we look at the teaching of the first century church, specifically Paul's teaching here in Galatians, we realize that this is not the message of the first century church. We just read verses 1 through 6 in Galatians chapter 5. Not, and I want you to read 13 through 21 with me real quick. For we are called, we are called to freedom, brothers. Remember earlier we said that, that for freedom you set us free? Now he says... For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see now how, how Paul flows into the lifestyle we live? What's he establishing here? He's establishing the fact that we are not made righteous by the things we do. He's saying, he's saying the work of Christ is what makes us righteous. He's saying you have been set free from the burden of the law. And then he says, but now because you've been set free from the burden of the law, don't go back in and now come under the yoke of slavery, which is sin. He's saying you've been set free from the yoke of, of the law and you've been set free from the burden of sin from the hedonism of sin, that that takes hold of your life and takes grip on your life. Paul here is creating a, a lane of Christian freedom between legalism and hedonism. This is why Christians live differently, not because living differently makes us righteous, but because the righteousness we receive sets us free from seeking fulfillment in the slavery of sin. Christ set us free from the legal burden of self-working righteousness, and in doing so, he sets us free from the bondage of the flesh. You see, when we do not have the work of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, that is leading us and guiding us and strengthening us and walking with us and, and, and giving us purpose and identity, you are stuck finding your fulfillment, finding your identity, finding your purpose in feeding your flesh. You are stuck sitting there going, how can I feel good about myself? How can I feel like I have value? How can I face the struggles and, and, and the problems of this world? 
And so people turn to all of these different things. They, they look for, for assurance and relationship. They, they look for validation and sexual sin. Uh, they look for the ability to, they look to the ability to escape from the reality of this world through, through drug addiction and through alcoholism. They ultimately find themselves in a place where they say, I have to live for me and my happiness. And they try to do that through the flesh, through sin. The problem is too often we've heard freedom and sin used as synonyms. Listen, now I'm free to get drunk. I'm free to sleep around. I'm free to engage in self-indulgence. When the Bible is teaching us the opposite is true, that these are conditions of bondage. Nowhere in the New Testament is sin equated with freedom. The gospel equates sin with bondage. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter 2. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Romans 6 makes this truth as clear as can be. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who, is, who has died has been set free from sin. And he follows that declaration, that declaration in verse 7 up with, seven with this one in, in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. It's fascinating to me because, because as, as you read this, doesn't it, doesn't it just make total sense? As you look around the as you look at the world around you, as you look at people's lives around you, as you look at what we see all the time, don't we continually and constantly see people in bondage to this sin? Governed by this sin, driven by this sin, defined by this sin? How many of us see people who are who are who are burdened by, who are enslaved by, who are who are chained? By the drive of self-indulgence. Whether it's the addictive, the addictive personalities we see, whether it's those people who are given over to chasing after this relationship after that relationship. People who are, who are, who are gripped by the need for greed. To have more. Yes, we have been set free from legalism and we have been set free from hedonism. It is unbelievable to me that we, that we can look around us and not see how the pursuit of our sinful passions is enslaving people, how it's destroying lives all around us. The lust, the sexual promiscuity, the greed, the self-indulgence, the lack of forgiveness and grace and true love. Our world is continuing to come apart at the seams. And at the core of it is the enslavement to sin, to selfishness, to self-serving passions. 
Freedom is not found in just pursuing what feels good. And to look at the world and to not to deny that seems to me to be simply blind or in self-denial. Samuel Coleridge rightfully said, the assumption that true freedom is discovered in the right to pursue personal passions is flattering to our sense of presumed autonomy. But in actuality, such a teaching is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And we see people all around us. We see people all around us being consumed by that wolf, don't we? Freedom is not found in the service of self, but in the service to Christ. It is there that we are truly free. Christ's death on the cross set us free from the bondage of the law and the unleashing of the Spirit in our lives sets us free from the bondage of sin. This work of God's grace, this, this, this work of Jesus Christ has set us free. Free to live between legalism and hedonism. It is in that place that the life of the believer is found. It is in that message that the message of the church is found. He has set us free from legalism and hedonism. And this message of freedom needs to be the message of every church because it is ultimately what everyone seeks. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let it be known to you, my brothers and sisters, that through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. And know that by him, everyone who believes is set free. Anyone who is in earshot of me right now, know that that is true. Know that that is the message of Jesus Christ to each one of you. That no matter what it is you brought into this place today, he is here to set you free. You don't have to live under a set of laws to feel as though you're righteous. Take hold of the righteousness that Jesus Christ earned for you through his work on the cross. You don't have to continue in seeking your fulfillment, seeking your hope, seeking your joy in the things of the flesh and to sin. If you're here today and it grips you, know that he wants to set you free. Press into him, lean on him, trust in him. And find life, find life, find life 
in freedom through Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me.